You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Welcome to the show. Wednesday, the 13th of September. Very pleasant morning here in TW11. Rendered only slightly less pleasant by the news that has just come through to me here that there is a, a water shortage. Thames Water experiencing a major power supply issue affecting a number of postcodes. I'm just hoping that doesn't mean I have to dash from pod duty to pick up the girls from school. Anyway, we might be a bit later out this morning. If so, my apologies, but there'll be plenty in this show, and that will include David Redvers, racing and bloodstock manager to Qatar Racing, talking about potentially winning another ledger, this time with Middle Earth, who's been supplemented into the race after that victory in the Melrose Handicap at York. We'll be checking out the sales returns from Keeneland. We'll also be looking ahead to the return of two 1,000 Guineas winners who have been long absent, not seen since this year's Guineas Morge. Saeed bin Sarur is uh, along to tell us how she's getting on and where she might appear. And appearing rather sooner, but absent rather longer, is last year's Guineas heroine Cache. George Bowie tells us about what the plans are for her this weekend and indeed what the plans are for his excellent sprint cup third believing you better believe you saw a good horse in france yesterday but not on the flat over jumps at otoy that horse's name il est français appropriately enough but he could be spending an awful lot of time on angleterre according to his english um born but shanty based co-trainer noel george who pops along later in the show also be catching up with the latest from national racehorse week and why gold dream the Group 1 winner made such a big impression on 400 primary school children in York yesterday, plus our first instalment of the Hong Kong season from J.A. McGrath. So lots to look forward to, but news roundup first of all with RTE and Racing TV broadcaster Jane Mangan. Jane, what is happening with the Irish broadcast advertising situation which has been threatening to take Racing TV and Sky Sports Racing off the air in your homeland? Yeah, so the gambling regulation bill has been a hot topic over here and HRI representatives and AIR representatives met with Minister James Brown during last week. The Minister for State who's responsible for guiding at the proposed gambling regulation bill through the Oireachtas, through our Parliament, and it's up for debate in Dáil and later this month. Uh, as everybody will, who's familiar with the bill uh, from listening to the pod uh, will be familiar with uh, this bill would um, ensure that gambling advertisement cannot be broadcast on television between 5.30am and 9pm and we know that Racing TV and Sky Sports Racing have deemed that to be unviable for their for, for their broadcasts. Uh, Suzanne Eid has spoken publicly for the first time today in the Racing Post to David Jennings and she has been quoted as saying we cannot let this happen. We have to find a solution. It is not accept- acceptable for Irish racing to not be shown in Ireland. But she went on to say, our remaining concern now is the advertising ban. That's the one we will remain working on and trying to find solutions for that. But the one part that we want, um, that we deem to be most crucial for us as an industry going forward, doesn't seem to have had any resolution reached in the first meeting between representatives of racing and the Minister for State. I've been trying to get the intel on this from Racing TV via their parent company, Racecourse Media Group. Their first contention is that making a separate service which does not have bookmaker advertising is simply too expensive. 
and simply not commercially viable. Their line of attack with government fundamentally rests on the fact that as they are a subscription channel, implicit within that is a customer opt-in to see what you would expect on a subscription horse racing channel, and that is to say inclusive of gambling content and therefore gambling advertising. And they feel that the way that they are being lumped in with the current legislation is not reflective, for example, of the treatment of online, which assumes a certain level of opt-in and a certain level of choice. Now, that might not necessarily be the case for Sky Sports Racing, and indeed it might not be the case for the remainder of the Sky Sports families, all of whom currently carry betting advertising. Possibly two subtly different angles of attack there. I wondered about ITV, but of course ITV doesn't operate under an Irish broadcast licence. You just happen to be able to catch it in Ireland. But not everybody can get it. Not everyone can, but I do think it would impact Virgin Media's uh, stream into into Ireland, would, would it not? It would, yeah, because they operate on an Irish broadcast licence. Um, and, and obviously what, what takes place on, on RTE. No problem with racehorse signage. Bookmaker sponsorship of races isn't an issue or other incidental gambling advertising. The problem is with advertising slots for specific betting companies, uh, which pop up regularly on both racing channels. So it is ongoing, um, but it's not something, as I said before, nobody over here is sitting on their hands, but it's very much like it's one of the, it's probably the biggest fire that needs to be now I won't say put out but it needs to be dealt with tenderly can we talk about Fakenham Racecourse and the loss of their New Year's Day fixture in favour of that fixture being run at, at Subtle uh, the BHA's new commercial committee has met and decided this and David Hunter the chief executive and clerk of the course at Fakenham is none too pleased um, the BHA have issued a statement today saying they take account of various criteria when allocating fixtures, often having to balance contrasting considerations. Clearly, this involves some subjectivity with the BHA ultimately taking decisions in the best interest of the sport and its customers. Have they balanced the considerations well enough here, do you think? Well, I, I would consider geography a very important factor when it comes to this whole strategy. You have to think about your attendance, your race planning, your television coverage, but first and foremost, your geography. And you're talking about the east of the country. Well, Fakenham, it's probably their best attended day or at least one of their best attended days of the year, New Year's Day. They say they get between four and a half and five thousand race scores on that day. And it's a card that they have had for 15 years. Um, so when you're making these changes, geographical spread is surely one of the most important uh, interests to take into account. They've moved it to Southern. ARC have had their say on this matter as well. And they're talking about prize money outlets and all this, all these different things. But I'd be very careful because a, a racetrack like Fakenham, uh, they have a limited number of races, a, uh, race days a year. And if you're taking away one of their most profitable and their most lucrative and their most popular, that has a huge impact on the business that is the race course. So, uh, I read it this morning. I'm obviously, I've never been to Fakenham. I've never been to Southall and I'm not very close to it. But reading from the outside in, I can't help but feel that connections of Fakenham have been hard done by here because this is one of their marquee days. Yeah, it's an interesting dilemma, this, Jane. I think everyone understands racing's need to keep its coffers as, as full as possible. I think everybody understands that 
you need prize money to be driven up. You need to be aspirational. You want to encourage the smaller courses to be aspirational. And Southern have effectively bid more in terms of their own executive contributions to prize money for this day than have Fakenham. But you, you just look at the uh, commercial committee. There's only one representative of small independent race courses on that committee. And that is a in itself a mini race course conglomerate. John Joe Sanderson's the representative there. The rest are all either aligned to the BHA or they are aligned to large race courses or they are people within the constituent parts of the thoroughbred group. And it, they, for them, more prize money it, it abstracted from context is always going to be the easier sell. Do we go for this fixture, which is X prize money, or that fixture, which is Y prize money? If X is greater than Y, that portion of the body is going to go for X. So really, there's only sort of one person on that on that 13-strong group who might be fighting Fakenham's corner. And I think you just need sometimes to see the slightly bigger picture. Yes, prize money is, 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 is all important. But when you're talking about balancing customer needs... What about your local fan base? Is that going to be completely excluded in this process? And if so, to what end? Are we going to reach a situation whereby the larger racecourse conglomerates get even more powerful than they are now? You know, ARC have the capacity to be able to say, right, we will move our existing flat fixture to Newcastle and then run a jumps fixture at Southall. And on that day, because it's a public holiday and we're going to get maximum football and we want that fixture, we can outdo other smaller race courses for prize money. What the commercial committee have to take into account is all right, but what are you what are you going to do for the rest of the time? And that applies to all the major race courses and major race course groupings. How does that tally with your meeting of your responsibilities on on all the other days of the year? You would be forgiven for thinking that if this is the tone that is set or the precedent that is set, then independent race courses may well shrivel on the vine anyway. I'm glad to read that they have moved their January 1st fixture to January 2nd so that they will hold it. And it'll be interesting to see how the figures hold up, the attendance figures hold up in comparison to last year. I know that they'll be applying for the January 1st fixture in 2025. All right, Jane, onwards to the racing and the Betfred St. Ledger this weekend at Doncaster. We spoke about Desert Hero yesterday. Against him, three potent candidates from John and Thady Gosden's stable, one of which is Middle Earth running in the silks of Qatar Racing. I've been speaking to their racing and bloodstock manager, David Redvers. Three out of three I've woken up in Keeneland this week. He was kind enough to take my call and tell me whether he really believed Middle Earth could take a hand in the world's oldest classic. Well, you, you don't go supplementing a horse in a race like that unless unless your trainer and jockey are both um, very keen that you do so. Um, it's turned into you know hugely competitive and telling race to Melrose, and um, he won it in pretty scintillating style. He's he's a homebred um, out of a out of a stakes winning mare called Row Heron, who um, fun enough we bought here as a, a yearling um, a few years back. And um, he's just been a, he, he was always one of the most imposing, best looking yearlings, but he was just quite slow maturing. And um, like all of the Roaring Lions, when he's, when he's got on the racetrack, he's, he's put his best foot forward and uh, got this wonderful trying temperament. You know, he tries really, really hard. So 
you know that he's likely to stay um, and you know that he's going to try his socks off and that's a pretty good combination for the St. Ledger. And Roaring Lion, you tragically lost at stud. Um, his stats are pretty remarkable, really. I, and there seems to be a great toughness that characterises them as well. I mean, it's a slightly silly question, but how badly is he missed by, by your team? I think, I think without wanting to overplay it, he's quite badly missed by the industry because there aren't many genuine um, middle-distance stallions whose stock seem to get better and better um, and keep trying. And, you know, as you say, his stats are pretty extraordinary. So um, the, as the industry sort of keeps going on this um, speed spiral, um, chasing, chasing, sprinting two-year-olds, to have a, a genuine three-year-old um, middle distance influence disappear, uh, come and go, is, is obviously a bit of a, a huge sadness um, generally. But for us, obviously, yeah, it's uh, so many of his run in his identical style. And, um, you know, there's, 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 I could think of half a dozen that, you know, when you watch them in the last furlong of the race, they look exactly like, Rory and Lyon did in the in the Irish Champion Stakes. You know they put they put their head down and they fight for it, and that's a that's a, a wonderful thing to see. If a bit bittersweet, and of course you've got a another progeny of kittens joy, as you were saying, in in Camico standing at stud. Are you are you seeing mares sent to him that were sent to Roaring Lion in the brief period that you stood him? Yeah, so basically we we bought a lot of nice mares, and, and over the years we've um, Shake Fads managed to put together. You know, lots of lots of stakes-winning fillies that have um, that have ended up uh, coming to stud, and so because of the way it worked out, um, Camacos had the most amazing opportunity, and he's been sent certainly from the from the Qatar racing point of view. He's been sent um, all of our best mares, and um, and and you, could, you know we've got some hugely exciting stock. Sitting in the in the in the sidelines to race, Shafe has also put um, quite a few back into the into the European market um, because his his focus is slightly more on the US than it than it was before because the prize money is so good over here, and there've been great opportunities and we've we've sold and we sold a beautiful colt um, to Hong Kong Jockey Club in Arcana and um, we've sold a beautiful horse. Well, I actually myself bred. And sold a lovely horse to Richard Hannon at, the, at um, Doncaster, and I know that there's some uh, absolute stonking horses going to Newmarket as well, and Goffs. So there's some going back into the, into the into the industry, and then there's quite a few that we're keeping and racing, um, and that sort of has largely been as a result of um, a breeding program, which means that if Sheikh Fad's got the mare and got daughters, he'll he'll sell the yearling. Um, and uh, and you know gives him the opportunity then to reinvest that money in other areas. So uh, it's going to be really fascinating seeing how they continue to go down. But they've averaged, I think, 177 grand or something so far. And um, what's wonderful about him is that yet again that kitten's joy temperament seems to be coming through. Andrew Balding always used to he, he always used to talk about Kamiko as just being a dude. Um, and he's got this really willing temperament and they just want to please and you can see it coming through all the yearlings. 
All right, that's David Redvers, Racing and Bloodstock Manager to Qatar Racing. Uh, he's in Keeneland this week, more of which in a moment. First of all, though, Jane Mangan, what wins the St. Ledger? Continuous. Um, I know a lot was made about the Voltager and the way it was run, but I still thought that Continuous would improve for the run. And if he does, he'll be going very close to winning the St. Ledger for Aidan O'Brien and Ryan Moore. Um, it's, it looks like a deeper new to the race, much deeper than the Irish version of it last Sunday. Um, the Frankie factor and the Royal Family factor will put Gregory and, and Desert Hero top two in the market, but... I have a funny feeling continuous would be my choice for the race. What what's your what's tickling your fancy? I think I think Gregory might be the most talented horse in the race. Uh, yeah, as certainly as a as a stayer. But I, I hear your sentiments. Maybe with continuous, we're just looking too much beyond the obvious. We're almost over reading the the tactical nuances of the great voltager. He did absolutely bolt up. I hear what you're saying. I, I if pressed now, I would say I would say Gregory, provided it doesn't get too wet. All right, from horses seeking their first classic to horses that have already won classics, two of them returning fairly soon, one fairly imminently in the shape of Cachet, last year's 1,000 guineas winner. She's trained by George Bowie. She's entered in the Scepter Stakes this weekend at Doncaster. I've been asking George how she's uh, got on training for this. Yeah, delighted with her, Nick. Um, obviously, it's been a, a long wait, and um, everyone's been very patient. She's, she's sort of tested a lot of patience a few times but um no, just one little niggle after another and i think with the filly of her you know her profile and, and her value we've just had to bide our time and this has been the target for a while yeah you found a nice stepping stone to something for her what might that something be if all goes well at the weekend i hope so um look she's in the sun chariot at Newmarket. she's in the foray um but i think sunday will tell us a lot she worked super this morning um quite slow ground in Newmarket. We had 11 mils of rain overnight and, and it was certainly on the soft side, closer to soft probably. And um, yeah, like the, the ground is going to be going for her a bit, but we've had a warm spell recently and, and the better the ground, the better chance for her, I'd say. All right. You talked about uh, the Sun Chariot for her. That might be the target for Morge. We've just been hearing from Saeed Bin Surah as well. You nearly pulled off a, a mighty coup with believing at huge odds in the in the Sprint Cup the other day. Uh, to what extent did that surprise you? Well, I didn't really. I think the, the the market surprised me seeing her return at sixty six to one. I, I I was talking to Harry Herb on the way up, and, and I you know I fancied her to run a big race, and um, it didn't surprise me at all. She'd been thriving and. Um, Witherford's done a great job with her in the gates. She she was a short price favourite to win a Group Two in France not too long ago. And um, Holly, who, who rides her at home, and, and Craig and Jake have done a super job. She's she's a filly on a big upward curve, I think, and um, she's got a few targets ahead of her this year. Um, all right, George, where might that next target be? But she's she might be supplemented for the Abbey. Um, she's in the Champion Sprint at Alaska and. Um, Breeders' Cup has certainly come onto the equation. She's quick from the gate and um, and pretty good round the bend. All right, from one Guineas winner in Cache coming back this weekend to another Morge, this season's 1,000 Guineas winner. When are we going to see her next and how's she been doing? I've been talking to her trainer, Saeed Bin Sarur. Last Saturday, she worked well and uh, she's going to work like, uh, depends about the weather here in Newmarket, maybe Friday or Saturday. Um, she's doing well, she's in good form 
and uh, the plan to run her either from um, uh, St. Chariot and Newmarket in the 7th of next month, or um, we take her to um, uh, America, uh, to Keeneland. Is that for the uh, Queen Elizabeth II stakes at Keeneland, is it? Could, could be, could be maybe that the race, or maybe a week later there is a nine for longs, only for, for fillies, three-year-olds. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's a nine furlong race for fillies the following week, or the or the QE2, which is the which is the Grade One, isn't it? And is that with a view then to going to to Santa Anita for the Breeders' Cup? Then after Santa Anita, yes, sir. And if so, if you take it to Santa Anita, then Said, would that be for the fillies race over ten furlongs, or for the mile against Colts? Well, we'll, we'll see which one is going to be that time uh, suit her. I mean. With Phillies be better, but I think so far, I think she's the nine for long, she can't do it. But mile and a quarter, she never tried before. If you're nine for long, but the mile, she when she ran the Guinness, she ran into by the mile, she stay further. Mm. But as a mile and a quarter, we have a look to see if we'll come close to the race. Uh, you know, obviously, at the beginning of the season, she was quite she was quite small. She hadn't grown an awful lot. Has she, given this little period of time, she's had to have off because of that infection? Has she actually done done well physically? Has she grown much? She grow. I mean, this is what uh, with the two year olds when they are skinny, skinny and small. Most of them, when you give them a break, they grow and become stronger. That's what happened with her this year. This filly, she she was quite small even last year. But we take her to Dubai and we give her a break between races. And now from the English Guineas until now, she looks like she grew and she becomes stronger than before. And, and it was just pointed out to me that she actually still has a, a rating in excess of Tahira. You've seen what Tahira has done since. You all go all the way back to that victory in the Guineas. Do you still think that that's a fair reflection of their, of their relative ability? Well, well, the moment she's tough filly. I mean, you saw her last year here in, in the market. And you saw her also in Dubai. She won. She's unbeaten in Dubai. I know that the, the competitive there, the, race, the horse is not really good as here in England. But the way she won it in, in the miles, she won well. Then uh, the filly, she, she have a big heart. She try well, you know, as uh, she's always, she do good. I'm with confidence she's uh, a good filly. So that's Saeed bin Surah. Morge is coming back, Jane Mangan, the forgotten filly of the uh, of the season, not seen since that victory in the in the one thousand guineas. What do you make of Saeed's comments there? Uh, it's very promising. I'd love to see her in the Sun Chariot. Um, interesting that he's thinking of America as well. Look, she is a little bit forgotten um, for that reason. We haven't seen her since May. Um, on the day, I thought Tahira was a little bit unlucky, and Tahira has gone on to do great things uh, I was particularly impressed with her on Saturday and I'd love to see her take on the Colts before the end of the year but Maj she was a good two year old but she wasn't a star and um, she's three from three this year so I, I'd be just looking forward to seeing her back and I can see why they're thinking abroad as well Alright some big racing already starting to take place in Paris on the jumps track at Otoy uh, yesterday's feature was the pre Mili Milo conditions race but the feature of the race was a Barnstorming victory from the odds-on favourite Il est Francais, one of the most exciting young horses in France, and making a, a chase debut for Noel George and Amanda Zetterholm, this uh, cross-channel partnership which is uh, really developing well. Noel joins me now. Noel, that was that was a really pleasing start to the to the campaign. Was that exactly what you expected? Did it exceed your expectations? Um, uh, to be honest, it was kind of what we were expecting. Um, it sounds a bit ridiculous because he was very impressive. However, we 
we've kind of been biding our time to put him over steeplechase and we're all very excited to run him and finally we've been able to do it and he was very impressive in everything that he did yesterday um it's it's got a good future ahead of offenses that's for sure and of course all through last season when he was uh, winning you know grade one races at otoy over uh, hurdles we were saying right when's he coming to england because he is in joint British ownership. He runs in the colours of Richard and Lizzie Kelvin Hughes and the the breeders are de Saint-Voix. And you were sort of biding your time and wondering and there was a talk about coming to, uh, at one point. What What's the sort of plan for the season with him now? Well, the with regards to in France, um, there's the race called the Prix-Fondeur, which is a, a big listed race for five-year-old chase, uh, five-year-old chase which is in kind of the second weekend of November. I mean, we'd probably like to run in that race because he'd, he'd probably win it very easily, we'd like to think. Um, and then after that, we've also got to consider novice chasing in England. Um, obviously, it's all going to be discussed with Richard, Kelvin Hughes and um, Nicola Lajeunesse, his breeder. But... Um, the two tracks I'm very seriously considering with him is kind of maybe the Hennessy, the what, the Ladbroke Trophy meeting at Newbury over fences and a novice chase or Campton on, on Boxing Day. Are those the two options which we've kind of got in uh, our mind uh, potential yeah, targets? And a lot of his winning has been done over, you know, two miles, two and a quarter miles. But what, what sort of stamina requirement would he want? And if you brought him novice chasing to Britain, what sort of distance requirements would he would he want see the, th- the thing is over here we don't have much option on what trip we run over the 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 graded races have, uh, have their their set distance and we kind of have to train accordingly um we don't have the luxury of being in england of having the, the option of whatever trip um so i mean to start off with i think we'd probably start at two and a half in england and then kind of make a decision from there because we know he, he can do two and a half. So whether we needed to go shorter after that or longer after that, uh, I think we'd make a decision afterwards. And is it then a, a case of mix and match between the two countries and keep him based in France? Or would you use your your father's base in, in Gloucestershire to train him here? Um, I think, I to be honest, I think he'd probably be staying training in France. Obviously, we'll we'll take him over to Dad's to school over the English fences before he runs in England. Um, but I mean, it, here in Chantilly, we have the most amazing facilities with grass gallops and everything. It's it's the most amazing for me. It's the best training centre in the world to train horses, and I mean, we've got everything we need. Um, I think that he's a horse that he's. You see, sometimes when horses come over to England and they don't, uh, they say they don't acclimatise. For me, it's probably it's just a different style of training. It's not so much acclimatising, which I've now learnt having spent lots of time out here. I think we've got flatter gallops, whereas in England they have to get used to going up a hill every day. So I think we probably wouldn't want to change too much drastically. Um, but he, he's a very, very good horse, and lots to look forward to. We'll continue our coverage of National Racehorse Week uh, this Wednesday morning. And yesterday, something quite special happened. Uh, York Racecourse's equine ambassador, the, the Group 1 winner, Gold Dream, who's now living out a very happy retirement at New Beginnings in Yorkshire, uh, made a surprise visit to 400 pupils at Clifton Green Primary School and joined their morning assembly. 
I'm really pleased that uh, Nikki Jones, who's the head teacher of Clifton Green Primary, is with me now. Um, Nikki, first of all, tell me a little bit about the about the school, where you are, and and what your intake is. Uh, our school is centred about a mile outside of York at uh, City Centre, so we're really close to the centre. But um, I suppose contrary to popular belief of York and and maybe what everybody else sees of York, we're actually in quite a disadvantaged area of the city. So. We've got um, a large number of children who um, come to school and experience free school meals and, and have got quite significant poverty in their lives. There's also um, a high number, of got about a quarter of the school who are on the special educational needs register as well. Um, so that makes a really interesting uh, dynamic and, and, and demographic in our school. The other thing is um, we've got around 15% of the school who, are, who speak English as an additional language. So in terms of challenge and, and making sure that all those children are educated and given the opportunities and experiences they deserve, it's quite it's quite an interesting one. Mm. All, all those three factors that you mentioned struck me in different ways relative to your your visit from Goldream or Remy yesterday. Uh, the first of those and we talked about it quite a bit on the podcast is the effect that animals and particularly horses can have on children with special educational needs. Is that something that has struck you before and is it something that's that's crossed your path before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we totally see the the kind of therapy aspects of having animals and children um, engaging together. We keep chickens on our school site, um, and a lot of our children with special education needs will kind of take responsibility and just enjoy time in with them, and, and just you know um, petting them and caring for them. But also, um, we we access equine therapy as well as one of our, our alternative provisions for a child in school. So we we are fully aware of that therapy element, which is why the partnership and having um, Remy in school was was so delightful actually to see that again we talk about getting racing and horses closer to the to the urban community would would there be quite a few of your your children who really don't have much contact with with the sort of the 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 rural animal the farm animal if you like Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was really interesting. One of our older children um, in school who, uh, in Key Stage 2, actually came to me after the event and said um, that this was the first time she had ever seen a horse in real life. Now, that's remarkable. You know, when we're, York is centred where it is as well. We're so so close to actually countryside and, and, and all those opportunities, but our children haven't got those experiences. And, and it's really important for us to make sure that we give those children that chance to you know, see see the um, beauty and everything that's out there, but also to experience the the different um, roles and, and responsibilities that happen outside of an urban environment. It was great for the uh, children who, you know, for those children who don't speak English as their first language, we're constantly trying to um, teach them just everyday words for things as well. So, you know, we don't have normally have a horse on site, so they are learning through picture and videos, etc. So to give them that hands-on experience, um, and that's part of kind of our, our core values at school, is to give children as many hands experiences as we can. Uh, so all in all, a, a, an incredibly positive experience for everyone concerned. Absolutely. And the partnership is a kind of bigger partnership with the race course, um, you know, which we're hoping to really foster for the future is um, a really positive one for us. I think both in giving our children those things that they don't normally see and, and, and actually, you know, taking them over to the race course, learning about the jobs, the aspirations, the all the varied, you know, plethora of things that, that go on up there is really important because, you know, it's part of our city. It's part of York as a, as a whole, but actually our children don't feel that they are part of that. So we really want to expose them to it. Nikki, thanks so much for your time. Um, uh, great to hear uh, about Remy and the, and the kids yesterday. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. All right. My thanks to Nikki. We are off and running in Hong Kong once again for the new season. Here's J.A. McGrath. 
Nick, it's been a funny old start to the new season in Hong Kong. A typhoon hit the place last week. You expect the odd typhoon at the end of August coming into September. But this time, it wasn't so much the typhoon, it was the damage that followed. 600 millimetres of rain fell in the week leading up to the opening day at Sha Tin last Sunday. Yes, you heard correctly, 600 millimetres, which in old money is around 24 inches of rain, which is simply unbelievable. And they raced. Of course, it was a rain-affected surface. I think some were calling it good to yielding. And front runners were favoured. But the show went on. Good drainage, I'd say. Because of the closure of the training tracks, because of the weather some days, it had a marked impact on the field sizes. For the first day, they were 30% down on runners. Only one race had a full field of 14, and betting turnover was down. 7.4% down year on year, and down 14% if you take out the two races from Korea that they bet on. Hong Kong Jockey Club officials were stoic in the storm, quite literally, knowing that normal service should soon be resumed. Racing-wise, Lucky Swain S got beaten by Victor the winner. The champ, who won eight races last season, was down. He was second, giving £20 to the winner. The only ones really disappointed in the run were those who got involved at 5-1 to one on. He will be back as a force as we know. Zach Purton rode a treble, Hugh Bowman had a double, and those stars and others will be in action at the Valley, Happy Valley, uh, which uh, kicks off today with eight races. Zach Purton's best of eight rides comes in race six, and that's number six, Pachisi, trained by Jamie Richards, starts from a very wide barrier, 11 of 12, but he's got enough time to get over, and I think Zach will be a bit more aggressive on this uh, horse than uh, in previous runs. So race six, number six, Pachisi to win and to beat number two, Gorgeous Vitality. Now, one race later in race seven, we've got Hugh Bowman aboard Explosive Witness. Now, Explosive Witness hasn't won for, I think, two years and nine months, which is going back a bit. But he's very, very well handicapped now as a consequence. And uh, this is an ideal race for him. With Bowman riding for the first time and drawn barrier seven, I think that uh, Explosive Witness will worry the favourite, number six, Heroic Master, who is Perton's ride. So race seven, take a, a toe swinger, three Explosives Witness into number six, Heroic Master. But one to watch in the finale is a horse called One for All, trained by the new trainer from Sydney, Mark Newnham. Now, Mark has just arrived. He's got 35 horses. He's very well respected in Australia. And uh, he's, I think, going to make uh, an immediate impact with number 10, One for All, who he has picked up from uh, the retired uh, Richard Gibson. So race eight, number 10, One for All, to round off proceedings at Happy Valley today. That's all from Hong Kong this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right, Jane. Well, we've had th three days of the, the Keeneland September sale now. And uh, we heard earlier in the week from Mark Taylor, from Taylor Made. They've already had a, a pretty good sale, their consignment. The top lots so far, $3 million for an inter-mischief heading the way of uh, Sonson, Woodford and West Point. Two and a half million for an Uncle Mo, heading to Gavin O'Connor, agent for John Stewart. Shadwell, $2.3 million for an Intermischief. And Amir Zidane for an Uncle Mo, 
2 million, an MV Magna and Into Mischief for 1.8, and an Into Mischief responsible for five of the top eight lots, and Uncle Mo responsible for another four. So, sire power for sure. Interesting to see Shaker Hissa getting involved at 2.3 million. Very much so. Maybe she's trying to find the next Malathat. Um, the figures seem to be. Uh, consistent. The average is just up 2% on last year, albeit the median is down 11%. Um, the number of horses that have made a million plus dollars is 23 compared to 22 last year. And the RNAs are up a little bit, but consistent with 2022 figures. And considering the turbulent year that American racing has had, that I would take as a positive. And have you got a tip for me for today? My tip for today is at Tremor, the 4.50 p.m. That's the two-mile maiden. I like Buck Hill. A lot of people will think Buck Hill's jumps form isn't good enough, but don't forget he was a close second behind the very man in the Pats Mullen charity race at the Curra last month, and he ran with great credit there under um, Peter Fahey's wife, Burr. And Peter Fahey has Ben Cohen employed for the ride today in the seven-runner maiden at 4.50. That's Buck Hill. Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, September the 13th. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.